Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. you to stand. Join me in the book of Philippians. Praise God. The book of Philippians. Chapter number two and verse number one. Praise the Lord. Amen. I feel better. (laughs) I feel better just being in the presence of the Lord. Just being in the presence of the Lord. Let's warm our hands and our hearts around his word tonight. I'm not going to Say anything perhaps you haven't already heard many, some of you many times over perhaps. But I just kind of feel this pressing in my heart tonight. And so I just want to be obedient to the Lord. First, first, our, the book of Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 1. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels... And mercies. Fulfill ye my joy that ye be like minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on things of others. And with the help of the Lord tonight, I just want to preach about the, 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 the spirit of unity, basically. That's what I want to talk about. And when I want to preach my subject this evening, my title would be this, The Power of Together. The Power of Together. Can I tell you this evening that no matter what you may possess, just because you possess it now, doesn't mean that it is perpetually yours. Amen. We can have this great spirit of unity, but that can be lost. And that can turn to division. We can have great spirit of love, but that can turn to hatred. And uh, we can have a lot of things. And so we can't afford to just sit back and wipe our brow and say, well, we have this. We can check that off of the list. If we get together, we got to stay together. Amen. And we need God's help in order to do that because the Lord will have to help us arrest us. <laughs> Amen. I got to keep me in control and in the will of God. You can be seated in the fear of the Lord. One of the uh, greatest anomalies of life is that almost everyone you meet, maybe there are some exceptions, but almost everybody you meet feels like that they are normal and everybody else around them is odd. It's, it's okay to just smile at least. On many occasions, my wife and I have looked at each other and, and just said, the whole world can't be wrong. We, we must be going crazy. I mean, let's, we got to climb down off this pedestal and realize the whole world can't be wrong. 
we must be losing our mind. I, I've often said, my wife has a book, I've, I've actually read it many times, it's been several years, but I've read it many times, or at least three or four times. It's entitled, Normal is Just a Setting on a Dryer. And uh, <laughs> it had me at the title. It had me at the title. That was enough to buy the book. And so normal is probably one of the most relative terms that you could ever search the world over and find. Because whatever you deem to be normal, I can assure you that just a few feet away in the house next door is a completely different mindset, a culture, a, a way of doing things, and to them, that would be normal. And so we have to be very, very careful when we are trying to flesh out what the Spirit of the Lord is trying to do, and that is to merge us together. But when you think about the dichotomy that exists in any one given family, any one given family, it makes you wonder how any of us would survive. You take two individuals from completely, from two completely different backgrounds, you allow them to marry, put them under the same roof, and allow them to have children, and how could you expect there not to be chaos? And confusion because you have worlds that are literally colliding. Because it doesn't matter how you were raised. Amen. It doesn't matter how you were raised, good, bad, or ugly. When you bring two worlds together, there are differences. And that are that's differences under the same roof of someone that you have committed yourself to for life. You will love no one on the same level like you love that person. And so even our children, when uh, our son was born, uh, just like when your children was born, you felt that you had exhausted to some degree the measure of love that you could have for anyone or anything until you had children. And then God helped you to realize that your world just got a little bit larger and that you didn't love them anymore, but you loved them differently. There was just another complete category that God had niched out in your heart and in your life. And so when we think about how, how d difficult it can be or how challenging, maybe the right word perhaps would be this evening, it is to merge all of these lives together, then when you think about the body of Christ, the church is made up very much the same way and of the same thing all walks of life, all backgrounds. And people come to God from every conceivable direction that we could ever imagine. We have no idea, in truth, we have no idea. I know that you may uh, tonight know somewhat of the story of some of your personal friends in the church, but I would, I would be willing to say tonight that if we were just trying to, to measure this, if we were to try to measure this church in this regard from the corner of my wife sitting over here on my left, Brother Keith Adams all the way in the back on my left and on my right, front right and, uh, and all the way on the back left and I'm not just trying to let everybody know you're sitting in the back, Brother Keith, just trying to make, a, somebody has to be there, right? If we were to take Sister Destiny here and then try to measure all the way back to Brother Kevin Harden sitting in the back on my right, then, then we would not have really any idea some of the journeys or some of the paths that we have walked just to be right here. As well as we may think that we know someone. In truth, we don't really have any idea what all the Lord has brought us through in order for us to be here. And if you think that we're a mess now, well, it's a good thing you didn't meet us a few years ago. 
Amen. What a what a great grand mess that we were, but the Lord has brought us all together because he said that he setteth the solitary into families. He doesn't want anybody outside of the gate or the, the fence. He brings the solitary into families. And so he sets us in and he places us. And I have often taught and emphatically believed that not only does the Lord call ministers and pastors to shepherd a congregation, but I believe that the Lord calls saints to a church. And that doesn't mean that, that, uh, you know, jobs won't transfer us here or there. Our life doesn't change and alter our course. But I think you know what I mean, that, that God places us together. There's a divine placement, I feel like, that's right here represented this evening in this congregation, a divine placement. And so the Lord, we are here according to his will. And so that means that we have to understand that he doesn't call us to anything that he doesn't equip us to. So we have to place our hands and our heart, our trust, our lives into his care and say, now, Lord, you have placed me here. I want you to help me to figure out how to become a part of this, a constructive part of this and not certainly a destructive part of it. And I believe that the Lord has given us instructions how that we can live together in harmony despite our backgrounds, despite where we come from, despite how we view things and see things, God has given us the ability to do that. Our effectiveness, of course, is determined by our inner qualities. It's who we really are as a person, not just who people assume that we are or what we portray ourselves to be on the outside. And so what God is truly after is after a heart that really loves him. Amen, really loves him emphatically and and we stumble, our, our steps falter, and if the truth be known, some steps may have faltered between Sunday and now, and I'm not talking about robbing a bank or just some gross sin, but just maybe we were just staggering a little bit in our steps, but many times I've said, despite what my feet are doing, and despite me laying here in the dust today, you know in my heart I love you and I want to do nothing else but to serve you. Am I alone here this evening? Amen, you know in my heart that I just truly desire to serve you. I, I may not make all the right decisions and my timing may be way off at, at times, but, but Lord, you know, you know my heart. I don't want you to take this wrong or out of context, but I've always been amazed at how effective many cults in the world are. I've not just dedicated a lot of my life to to reading about this, but it is somewhat uh, intriguing to me. When you think about in many cases, if not all of them, uh, are, are preaching, if I can use that word very, very loosely, they are preaching a message that's far more hard to believe than biblical Christianity. Amen. I mean, far more bizarre, far more bizarre than anything that we could ever in our right minds imagine, and yet... We see thinking people, thinking people that get caught up in these kind of things. But one thing that they have that makes all the difference in the world is that spirit of unity, that unified mind. Amen. They are unequivocally united. They have a shared vision. They have a shared purpose. They have a common goal. They have a, they have a single train of thought, if I could put it that way. And I believe to some degree that's why they are so successive. And that kind of unity is very attractive to some. Unfortunately, what 
what we see happen uh, many times, and I'm, I'm not going to be negative here, but we do have to be uh, keep it real if we're going to talk about this in balance, that sometimes in churches there is not that singleness of purpose. And there is not that singleness and that unity of the Spirit. Many of us at some point or another have either been in churches or known churches where there was some kind of quarrel or even maybe a, a, a division. And, and uh, this is nothing new. I don't want you to get uncomfortable about that. That's nothing new. If you go all the way back to the beginning in the book of Acts in chapter 15, the church is brand new and there's already problems. There's problems because there's people. And I've noticed that common denominator through the years. And so we have to make sure that, that we realize that from time to time, the, the proclivity for that is always there. And so what we have to do is be proactive, proactive to work against that and to pray that the Spirit of God will help us to be tall enough when we need to be tall enough and small enough when we need to be small enough. Amen. And so the problem is nothing new, but it is a serious problem. So the, the work of the Lord always suffers when there is disunity. Uh, several years ago, um, uh, several years ago, the country now just slipped right out of my mind, but several years ago, the tremendous revival in Ethiopia. And uh, of course, when there is a spirit of revival that is loose like that, it, it does uh, it does spark curiosity and and uh, people around the world want to know what are you doing? What are you doing to to have these kind of results? What What is the effort? And I think that's a fair equation that we all understand that it's a God thing, but, but we also understand that if someone is doing something right, we want to hook our, our, we want to hook our wagon to something that's moving in the right direction. And so Brother Teclamarian, the, the missionary uh, there was in a meeting and some ministers were asking, what are you doing? And Brother Teclamarian unequivocally let them know that what they were doing was praying for unity. They were not praying for revival. They were not praying for people to get the Holy Ghost. They were not praying for signs, miracles, and wonders. But someone got wise enough to just say, Lord, unify us. If you will pull us together. Now, if you read the story of the Tower of Babel, I've read that recently as we've started our bread program for 2017. And, and when you think about that story, again, how that, that God essentially said, I'm kind of putting this in our language, but God essentially said, if I don't stop them, they're going to accomplish this because of their unified effort, their unity. They are together, and so I'm gonna have to confuse this, and so there's such power, the power of together. There, what can be done when we understand the power of together? I know it's an age-old story, and it has been quoted time and time again, but it can't be lost to us that Nehemiah presented to the people an unbelievable circumstance the walls were turned down. The gates were removed. And, and Nehemiah addressed the situation and he did not extract himself out of the equation, but he certainly did not extract anyone else out of the equation when he said, you do see the distress that we are in. I mean, this is an us thing. And so if we're gonna fix this, we gotta fix this together. And the story of Nehemiah and the rebuilding of the wall, what a tremendous 
message there the multiple message messages that are there because they were working with one hand and when uh, they were under siege they were working with one hand in a one hand a tool to work and another hand a weapon to defend but ultimately the scripture and the victory line of it all says this so built we the wall for the people had a mind to work the power of together when the children of Israel walked into, into the promised land, the very first city that they came to was, was that city that the Lord told them. He said, see that city, I have already given it to you in your hand. That's pretty specific. And then he gives them some even more specific instructions of how they were to walk around the wall and then how on the seventh day they were to walk seven times. And when the priest blows the trumpet they are to praise there's something about that story that gets a hold of my heart when I read that because the people were together and God together anointed their efforts and, and honored his word and the walls came down I remember uh, almost 30 years ago now I had a, a great friend who visited that city and in, in a little bit of an analytical mind I was thinking about if the walls were this large that chariots could ride and if the walls were this big if, if they were that big and the walls fell down it would still present a problem to get over them but he said the walls were not torn down but they were pressed down amen they were pressed down so the Lord didn't just push them over and leave them yet another obstacle to climb but he said because of your unity I will push flat that that is in your path and you will just walk over when they went across the Red Sea they didn't go through mud and mire but the Bible says they went across on dry land amen that duplicated itself at Jordan's brimming bank amen they went across on dry land there's something about the power of together when the Lord gets his people together and so one of the greatest challenges that we have is not just coming together that certainly presents a challenge in and of itself to try to plant a seed uh, brother and sister bird are planting a seed in the city of Madison and, and they didn't go into this blindly thinking that they were just going to go sing a few songs and that, uh, that everybody in Madison County was going to be lined up at their door. Amen. They understood the challenge that is before them and so the challenge is certainly there a formidable mountain. Amen. So it's one thing to get the church together but let me tell you something. It's not over just because you get the church together. Now we got to stay together. Amen. We got to stay together. And so I, I have put a lot of people by virtue of uh, my calling and by virtue of the authority given to me by the state of Florida to marry people. I put a lot of, I've put a lot of people together, but that's the easy part. Now I present to you Mr. and Mrs. Wootendiddle. That's the easy part. Now they got to figure out how to navigate through life without killing each other. That's the tough part. Amen. <laughs> Amen. I, I see some. I see some battled, scarred warriors out there shaking your head as though you've been there. And so here is a message of Paul in our text, and he gives us several things that we should realize and recognize. And maybe if we can just kind of put these few things I'm going to mention tonight. I'm just repeating Paul. This is not my message. He preached it originally. We can just slip these in our quiver. Then, then I believe that God will give us something. And I will quickly and go through this and not take too much of your time here tonight. But I think that one of the most important things, perhaps one of the most important things, is to remember where the Lord has brought us. Not us collectively, 
but where the Lord has brought us individually. He's brought us a long way, a long way. When we think of where we were, and equally as important if we think of where we could have been and where we would be right now, had it not been for the grace of God, I'm thankful for the church. There's a lot of things that we don't agree with. There's a lot of different ideas and uh, a lot of different tastes and things of that nature that um, that you would find within within the church. And you know, there the fellowship is a wonderful thing, but it's a two-edged sword because it's like friendship. It comes with a price. And so, but I would rather have friends than to not have any friends. And I would rather have fellowship than to not have any fellowship. And so when I look around and I see things perhaps I don't agree with, I can think about this. I agree with so much more than I disagree with. And so I'm just gonna hang on. The Lord has brought me a long way. He's given me so much and I don't want to circumvent that right now in my life or ever. Amen. I have been the recipient of one of the greatest gifts that man could ever receive and that is forgiveness of my sins and to be filled with his spirit to have my sins remitted by water baptism in Jesus' name. I'm thankful for that. Paul said to the church in Ephesians 1 and 3, blessed be God, the the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. He's done so much for me. One songwriter said, I cannot tell it all. I just can't tell it all. He's done so much for me. So we're, we're blessed. We're so blessed even though, even though, work with me here now, even though we take a lot of those blessings for granted. We're so blessed. We are so blessed. A few Sundays ago, many of you, uh, we lost our power for 22 hours. And uh, it felt like 22 days. We're so spoiled. We're so spoiled. We're so blessed. We're just so blessed. And sometimes we don't recognize those blessings until they're just gone when they're just in a blink of an eye taken from us, how blessed we are. And so I want to take the time, as someone once said, to smell the roses. I want to take some time to just realize God has done so many wonderful things in my life. I want to challenge you to think about some of those things right now. Amen. Paul reminds these people just what they have. He said in verse one, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if there's any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, the word if in this particular passage could be translated since in order to convey the true meaning. Amen. There is, there is that spirit of love that we have found in the fellowship of the Lord. There is such mercy. Paul was reminding them that they had received a lot due to their relationship with God. They had received encouragement. I'm gonna tell you something tonight. When I talk about encouragement, I'm thankful for every pat I've ever had on the back. I'm thankful for every 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 hand that's ever extended itself to shake mine, every card or, or whatever kind word, whatever the vehicle may be that brought a kind word. But that's one sort of encouragement. I don't wanna take away from that. But I'm gonna tell you that the Lord through the church has brought me some real encouragement that solidified the ground under my feet. I'm not just talking about a pat on the back, you've done a good job today or everything's gonna be all right or a hug. But I'm talking about in a spirit of encouragement that this is gonna be okay. Amen, the power of the church, they have received comfort. I'm thankful for the fellowship of the church. Amen, I love what we have felt here tonight. I wouldn't trade that for anything, but you know, 
Amen. I'm thankful for the power of you being here this evening. The power of you walking in this door. And, 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 and there are nights, and, and I'm sure even many services sometimes that go by, that we don't even have an opportunity to speak to everybody that's here. But can I tell you that whether I have the chance to shake your hand or not, hug your neck or not, I want to thank you for being in the house of God because just your presence here, not for a number, not for a warm body, not to fill up just a literal building, but I'm going to tell you the power of fellowship just to come here and feel the warmth. I'm not alone. You reminded me tonight when you walked in this door that I am not alone in this world. You reminded someone else across the way when you came walking in tonight. They were reminded I am not in this alone. I am here. Amen. In the company of some wonderful people. I have received tenderness when I needed tenderness. I have received direction when I needed direction. Instruction when I needed instruction. I have received compassion when I need to receive compassion. The Lord has been so good to us. He's brought us a long way. And all of this has come by way of the church. When I think about all the people that are in my life, I'm talking about wonderful people quality people that have challenged me to be better than I would ever have been without them. I would have never known them had not been for the church. I mean, you go find somebody with all their sad stories and they can tell you their sad stories all day long, but I'm going to tell you tonight, I thank God for the church. Amen. With all of her flaws, with all of her warts, I'm going to tell you that that is so far overshadowed by the prayer and the good things and the worship and the fellowship and, and the people that have loved us when we were unloved, unlovable and held our hands until we could get our lives stable again. They just kept loving us through some serious stuff. And so in like fashion, we have received those same things from the Lord and God has given us so much mercy and he's, he's done so much. I couldn't tell it all tonight. We have been blessed beyond anything that we could ever dare deserve. Paul said in chapter in chapter 2, verse 2, Fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. That's a strong call. We are called to be like-minded. Like-minded. He's not asking you to change every little idiosyncrasy about you. That's some of what makes the church the church. But we have to be like-minded enough that we agree at times to disagree for the sake of the kingdom and for the sake of the cause. There's something here bigger than us. There's something here larger than us. And so we've got to stay focused for the sake of the cause. We have to have the same love, the same spirit, the same purpose. And so it, it, this seems to parallel another one of Paul's admonitions of of unity to the church at Corinth. Now, certainly the church at Corinth was a troubled church, but the scripture becomes even more challenging when we read it from the Amplified Bible. And so I, that's what I want to do this evening, this one verse, 1 Corinthians 1 and 10. Paul said, but I urge and entreat you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you be in perfect harmony and in full agreement in what you say and that there be no dissensions or factions or divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly united in your common understanding and in your opinions and in your judgments. Wow, what a tall order. If we could just copy and paste that into all of our hearts here tonight. <laughs> what a tall order. What a tall order. Amen, it's possible that 
the Lord said you could speak the same thing, just look down the same and out the same lens, and that was exactly what Paul was pleading for. And so our opinions really ought to complement. They ought to be in line with the, with the Lord's opinions, and we ought to seek out what God's opinions would be and his spirit would be, not our will, but his will. Amen. So it's important that one of the greatest needs, so important that the church not only be together, but stay together, to walk together in harmony. Amen, I've often used the illustration that a lot of people say that we need to see eye to eye. Well, if I were to ask my wife to come and we stand here and look eye to eye, we're not gonna be able to get a whole lot accomplished if we just stand here staring eye to eye. So when we can't see eye to eye, let's just stand shoulder to shoulder. And we stand shoulder to shoulder, we can probably walk forward or backward or side. We can get a lot more accomplished standing shoulder to shoulder. And so I say, Lord, help us tonight to stand shoulder to shoulder and understand the value and the power of together. Now, I don't believe this kind of unity just happens. I don't believe that just kind of lands out of the sky. I don't believe it just falls in our lap. But I believe you gotta work things like that out. You gotta develop those that kind, that level of unity, that kind of unity has got to be a decision of our will. Amen. That's precisely why it's a command. And so from here we get further instructions. In verse three, he said, let nothing be done through strife or vain glory. Amen. The enemy in the church, and, and, and it's an enemy within of all of us, and that is the spirit of selfishness. I, I said this, uh, I think just a service or so ago, you can really determine the, me- the measure of, of true selfishness even in the heart of a child with just one stick of gum. You give them one stick of gum, tell them to divide it in half and split that with their sibling. And you'll learn a whole brand new thing about math you didn't even know. That half in their world is not 50%, that's for sure. There's a spirit of selfishness and that can derail the activity of God in any, in any body. And so we need to let the spirit of God touch us and anoint us. James, in James 4 and 1, he said, from whence come wars, fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your lust that war in your members? That's something inside. You gotta deal. Where is all this coming from? That's coming from our flesh. Selfishness, the root of all sin. Selfishness deals with what I want or in my opinion. And at its core, selfishness is the exact opposite of what God would have us to be. And so I have to get rid of me I have to push me down. Amen. Did you have to move you out of the way to pray today? Did you have to move you out of the way to read your Bible today? Did you have to move you out of the way in order just to get to the house of worship tonight? Sure. To some degree, we had to move self out of the way in order to do the things of God. And so God's love is selfless, not considering himself at all, but considering others. And and we are everything about us in our world daily. We are constantly groomed to think all about just us and so amen if we're going to be like the Lord then we got to resist this selfishness attitude and and it's pride amen selfishness and pride are two deadly forces at work against the kingdom of God amen so we got to we had to ask the Lord to help us amen the Bible says in Proverbs 13 and 10 only by pride cometh contention but with 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 the well advised is wisdom only by pride cometh contention but with the well advised is wisdom and so we got 
got to resist selfish attitudes and, and it never, selfishness, you know, never brings people together. It always drives people apart, puts a wedge in between. Amen. And so we say, Lord, I got to deal with this. Help me to deal with me. In the, in, in verse three, he said, let nothing done, be done through strife or vain glory. Now he gives instructions, but in lowliness of mind, let's each esteem other better than themselves. So here's a command that has the power to deliver us from attitudes of selfishness and pride. It's a command that kind of goes against the sinful nature that we have, that innate Adamic nature that is there. He goes against that. In fact, many people would say that this is a command that's impossible to keep, and it may be impossible within our own strength, but I believe that the Lord will give us strength to, to rise to this challenge because, as I said a moment ago, God never gives us a command that he is not committed to help us keep if that indeed is our desire. So God's commands are not a demand upon us, but really, really in truth, it's a demand upon himself. He didn't ask us to do something and then he's not gonna be God enough to bring us the power and the strength to fulfill that. And so here is what God says about how we should treat one another. In Romans 2 and 10, he said, be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love in honor, preferring one another. Amen. Now there's a real quality of humility the ability to see ourselves really as we are before God. Amen. Humility informs us that we're no better than anybody else, no matter what we think, no matter what side of town we live on. Humility enables us to look outward, amen, outward toward others. Listen to what the apostle, the apostle Peter tells us about humility. He said in chapter five, verse five, likewise ye younger submit yourselves unto the elder, yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility for God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, watch this, that he may exalt you in due time. Oh, wow, that's hard to wrap our our carnal minds around, humble yourself before the mighty hand, under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. If you'll let God press you down, he will with the same hand lift you up. Amen. And so in God and with God, the way up is down. It's, it's not how we think and not how we're taught to think, but it's what God says, this is what you should be. Amen. Pride is such a horrible thing. Amen, our hearts will only become humble as we acknowledge that the Lord is the Lord over all of our lives and we surrender ourselves to his will and then our hearts are right before him. Finally, I wanna ask our musicians if they'll come. We're gonna look at verse four. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Amen, one of the things that happens to us when we regard others more important than as ourselves is our ability and our desire to focus on their needs and not just our needs. You know, um, we have been the recipient at times of just randomly in line at uh, wherever it happened. One time at Starbucks, I can remember that years ago, where someone just was paying something forward. And they said, You're, everything's already been paid for. And you know what immediately it made me want to do? Not speed away. It immediately made me want to pay for the fellow behind me. 
I was so blown away. I mean, I'd, I'd heard about that and read about it, and but the first time it ever happened, it was just such a weird feeling. It's like, wow. So, well, I'll just pay their bill. I don't know how much it is. I was hope I was looking in the mirror to make sure it wasn't a church van or something, <laughs> and to think that out there a little bit. I'm, I just blew my whole sermon. I'm sorry. I didn't. I didn't do that. I didn't do that. <laughs> it just immediately, and, and you've probably read accounts of of these things that have started in the mornings and they have gone on uninterrupted for hours because somebody decided, I'm just going to throw a little kindness on the plate here and let's just see what happens. And that has gone on uninterrupted for hours at a time. And if that can happen in a carnal, fleshly, selfish world, then how much more easily ought something like that to ignite in the church and just burn and 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 burn. Because God has been so good to us. So Romans 15 and 1, let's stand. Here it is. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good edification for even Christ pleased not himself. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. I think it's more than irony that the scripture doesn't designate or identify the strong or the weak. It just says, we then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak. Now, this is my little peanut interpretation of this. I think the strong and the weak have a tendency to vary. And I think that I could be the strong one tonight and you the weak one. But you know, 30 days from now, that could all turn So this is not about Steve helping Lois. No. Because all that could be different in 24 hours. This is not about Steve helping Jerry or Jerry helping Everett. No, no, no. It's the strong should bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Not so that we can kind of swell our chest and say this is what I did. If it hadn't been for me, if it hadn't been for me, no, no, we need the Lord to help us. Let no man seek his own, but every man another's wealth. Amen. And so we have to ask the Lord to help us. I know it's been used a lot of times, and um, and maybe it's in Scripture for this very reason, and maybe not. But the Bible does say in Job 42 and 10 that the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. I think there's something powerful that that happens when we get outside of our own world and 
pray for someone else. Kind of take the attention off of us and me and mine. I received a, I received a text message. Um, I received a text message during while I was in church Sunday from a pastor friend of mine who's in another time zone, and and um, he said, "I need you to, if you will, to pray for a friend of mine." And he gave me his name, and and he said, "If if the Lord would just use you in any capacity to have a word to send to him." He said, just, just feel free to tell him that I, I ask you to pray for him. He wouldn't know me, obviously, but you can mention my name. And so I, I took that to heart. I felt like the Lord did give me something to say to this man whom I may never meet. And so I sent him a text message. And in just a few moments, I received a, a response from a man that, again, we have never met. Chances are we may never meet. And how humbled he was that even my friend would ask me to send a text. I'm testifying now, please understand me. I'm not boasting. And how moved that he was that somebody in Louisiana would call somebody in Florida and somebody in Florida would send somebody in Nashville a text. But isn't that how the church should work? (laughs) Amen. Isn't that how the church should work? In my den, oh, I don't know, many years ago now, my wife was gone. I was knelt actually at her chair, and I was praying. And it was just, I was having just a moment like, Everyone in this building's had. You kind of feel like you're the only one on the earth. <laughs> Certainly the only one that's ever faced what you're facing right then. And the phone rang. 700 miles away, a man who I was just merely acquainted with, we were a long way from, I would think, calling one another friend per se. I said, Brother Boyd, I was in my office and the Lord laid on my heart to call you. And he had just a few things to say to me tears I just couldn't hold them back to think that God's church is so interconnected that somebody could just lay it allow the Lord to lay something on their heart and then move on that the power of together the power of together that man is no longer living but when I found out that he was sick unto death I called him again I told him couple of times about just I just want you to know sir what that meant to me it meant everything and so I'd ask us tonight to ask the Lord to help us to repent of us and our attitude sometimes and our spirit sometimes and our pride sometimes and just say Lord help me to be alone with you I was uh, watching a documentary online uh, Either one late one night, I mean, one night late last week, or maybe this week, and um, it was a documentary about prisons and the penal system at large, not just in America but around the world. And as one historian began to talk, he said that the idea centuries ago of a penitentiary. 
was to put people who had committed crimes in a place of solitude or alone. In the minds of men who initially set this system in order, it was not about judgment. And it was not even about correction or punishment. But it was the common belief that if if we could just get somebody alone, the sails were designed in such a way that they had a skylight intentionally, not just to provide light, but for them to know that that sunshine come from their creator. And the hope would be that when man got alone, that a spirit of penance would touch their heart. And they would repent of their evil and their crime. And that's how we get the word penitentiary. Because that was, if we could just get someone alone with their maker. And so I'm wondering tonight, if we could just get alone with our maker and let him reveal to us where we need to stand taller and where we need to lay down. I believe we could accomplish what God would have us to accomplish individually. I feel a spirit of prayer. Amen. I wonder right where you stand if you would just let the Lord touch you. wonder what would happen if we could just get alone with God. Perhaps that proverbial skylight, sunshine to come down to pierce and penetrate to remind us that he's our creator, that he's the only hope we have in this entire world. I pray today, God, that you would help us Young and old, men and women, help us alike tonight, God, that your presence would touch our heart, touch our minds, touch our spirit. Help us to realize, God, that if we are walking in error, we don't need to take one more step, but let us have a spirit of penance, a brokenness about us, Lord, that your mind, that your spirit would touch us, that we could be like-minded with you, In the name of the Lord, in the name of the Lord, let's sing this. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.